Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Dr. Allison. Dr. Allison, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, sir. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me again. Always a pleasure being with you. Yes, sir. It's an honor to be able to chat with you. Can you uh, catch us up on what's been going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what writing projects you're working on? Uh, sure. Uh, my wife and I are nearing 45 years of marriage. We've got three adult kids, currently 10 grandkids, and one on the way. So that's a, that is a great blessing. Our family is uh, spread all around uh, the world, in a sense. Uh, one's in the Seattle area. One's here in Louisville, Kentucky with us. But another is doing church planting in France. Uh, so that's kind of the family. In terms of my life, I just turned 67 years old. I can't even imagine retiring. I feel like I'm still peaking as a teacher and writer. Um, I enjoy ministry. I, I, I did uh, the Doctrine of the Trinity at our church for uh, fourth and fifth graders, and then I did it with adults. Uh, the fourth and fifth graders had better questions than did the adults. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the fourth and fifth graders, I was supposed to address them for 10 minutes and we won 30 minutes. They just had so many good questions. So again, just so important to talk about the Trinity and in our churches and 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 worship the triune God. A current ministry projects uh, in uh, this, well, we're, we're going to talk about the book, The Church and Introduction. That's going to hit the bookstores this month. In May, I'm coming out with a book called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. Uh, with Baker, that's going to be about a theology of human embodiment, life in this human body. And in September, I've got a book coming out called 40 Questions About Roman Catholicism with uh, Kriegel. So that, that's what I'm working on right now. You definitely stay busy in addition to teaching and everything else that you have going on. So thank you for your I, ministry. I, I enjoy keeping busy. Uh, yeah. I thank to the Lord for opportunities that I have. Amen. Amen. Well, can you please tell us a little bit about this book, The Church, an introduction, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, please? It's a part of Short Studies in Systematic Theology, which is a series presenting key systematic theological doctrines like the Trinity, like Christology, or in this case, like the Doctrine of the Church. Uh, the primary audience is, would be pastors and very interested lay people. The book is, uh, I don't know, somewhat over 100 pages, 140 pages, something like that. Uh, pretty easy read. Uh, one of the key things is I, I present uh, the doctrine of the church in terms of mere ecclesiology and more ecclesiology. Mere ecclesiology is what we all, all churches agree on in terms of what the church is, what its ministries are. And then more ecclesiology takes a deep dive into what do particular churches and denominations believe that differentiate us? Just for example, uh, within evangelical churches, we all agree the uh, doctrine and practice of baptism is uh, grounded in scripture and 
should be practiced by the church, but we disagree. Should believers be baptized or should infants be baptized? So mere ecclesiology, we all agree that the churches should baptize. More ecclesiology, do we do that with infants or do we do that with adults, with believers? Yeah, that that's, uh, that's really, really important. So just a follow-up question on what you just said. When it comes to matters related to the church, what theological issues are absolutely essential and which ones are matters uh, what we would call preference? Well, essential uh, elements would be uh, who it is that uh, we worship as the church. Obviously, we worship the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, how do we do our worship? How do we rule our church? How do we determine what the church is? It's got to be grounded in God's Word, in Scripture that is authoritative, inspired by God, is a holy, true, and everything that affirms it's sufficient, it's necessity, it's clear, and so forth. Um, we, we need to think about what the church is uh, in terms of its nature or essence, and, and my view would be before we talk about the ministries of the church, we need to talk about the nature of the churches. Our ministries flow from what the church is. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the, the the church is described in various ways, and I know we'll get into this later on in the podcast, is described in various ways, and we would need to understand the church and, and, and ground our church on what biblical instruction is. So those would be uh, some of the things. Yeah, I think that's uh, very very helpful for for people to think through because you know you could you could get into a whole lot we could probably spend the whole time just talking about that 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 whole question and parsing it and breaking it down but you were just touching on the nature of the church how does scripture define the church i think scripture define would define the church uh, as the people of god who as they hear the gospel uh, repent turn from their sins embrace jesus christ believe in him by faith. And uh, this obviously comes through the gospel. And as they, as this happens, as they're saved, justified, adopted, united with Christ, and so forth, one of the mighty acts of God also is that Christ baptizes us with his spirit and places us into his, that is Christ's body, therefore constituting us as the, the people of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's that's really, really, really important. I think we neglect that um, to talk about that particular aspect of the indwelling and how the Holy Spirit places us in into the body of Christ. Of course, we know there's other views that take go in the up, opposite direction of that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think probably because there are other views, we have a tendency to minimize or overlook this idea, but if it's Christ who baptizes us, in, inundates us with the Spirit for the purpose of joining us with the church, then that needs to be an important element. Why are we part of the church, the body of Christ? Because Christ has done so through this baptism with the Spirit. Yeah, that's really good. Why does it matter that every Christian be in a local church? Man, this is such a good question because we have millions of so-called Christians today who say, I really love Jesus, but I can't stand that church of his. Yeah, maybe they've been burnt in the past. Maybe they've been hurt. And so there are a lot of wounds. And so they'll say, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be a Christian, 
They may even say, I'm going to be part of the universal church, but I don't want to have anything to do with that local church, that local expression. And I would just say the Bible has no category for a Christian who is part of a universal of the universal church who is not at the same time also a member of a local church, right? The, the, the universal church manifests itself in local churches, and we can't be a part of the universal church and then reject being part of the local church. That's where we worship God together with our brothers and sisters. That's where we hear the word of God preached and where we respond to the word. The church is where we uh, have the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The church is where we do our discipleship and where we are discipled. The church is where we uh, help others build up the body of Christ with our spiritual gifts, right? The church is the place from which we do our evangelism and send out church planters and missionaries and all like that. It's 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 about the local church, isn't it? Amen. Amen. You know, I think one of the, I agree with all of that. And I think the, the thing is, is people might be persuaded of that already, but then they think, well, uh, there's only so much I can do, right? In the local church, I could only do two things every week. I can go on a Wednesday service or a Sunday service. Like, don't you understand? You just affirmed everything that Dr. Allison said. But then you don't take it far enough and say, I need that every day of the week. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that you have to do that every day of the week. But many people object to the idea that, oh, well, the whole the life of the church should be a, lar- a larger part of my life. And it's like, wait a minute. Don't you understand what you just said? You know, we, we would say we need one another. I, I need you and you need me. And that's based on the New Testament. But, you know, we need we need. We need each other a lot more than what we what we have. We need the fellowship. We need the word in our lives. I need you. You need me. We need to speak in truth into each other's lives. And I just think that's rather silly when you look at the New Testament. Um, you know, we we see the fifty one another passages or so, and you know, we those passages inform what we're supposed to do in the local church. So you know, it's um, rather I think unfortunate. Well, we'll not say silly. Unfortunate that we that people uh, go there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we compartmentalize our lives into the sacred and the secular and the sacred part, right, is minimal during our week. The secular part is maximal and we don't see exactly what you're saying. I love the point of one another's. How are we supposed to carry that out if we don't have these ongoing deep relationships where we pray for one another and care for one another and serve one another and wash one another's feet metaphorically or physically maybe, right? And love and can be concerned and respect one another and all like that. How do we carry those out if we are minimally involved with one another's lives? Yeah, so so well said. You know, the other thing I, I wanted to touch on here, and, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, you know, in seminary, I was, I was um, for a better word, I was told, well, my Bible study is over here in this coffee shop. Um you know, this is my church, this Bible study. I call it a Bible study because it is a Bible study. And there's something wrong with church members meeting together to have Bible study at a coffee shop. It's great. They, yep. But they across the line said, this is my church. Yep. You know, and this is where I think where we have to go and help people see that the, the New Testament epistles, they're addressed to the church. They're addressed to people that are gathered together. Yeah. So uh, I think people take uh, Matthew 18, 15 to 20 out of context, and it's where two or three are gathered 
gathered, you know, in my name there, I'm in the midst of them. And they go, yeah, so there's, there's three of us, right, at uh, Starbucks, and we're having a Bible study, therefore we're church. Well, well, no, <laughs> the church is much more robust, biblically, theologically, practically than that, right? Wh- who's preaching and teaching the word? Where are the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper? You know, where is uh, church discipline? Where are the leaders of the church, right? All those uh, elements must go into, must constitute the church. And great, have Bible studies all over the place all the time, but just don't call them a church. Amen. Amen. And especially don't say, my church is my weekly Starbucks Bible study. No, that's your weekly Starbucks Bible study, but that's not your church, right? Don't confuse those things. Oh, yeah. I had many, many conversations saying the exact same thing you said. Isn't that though a symptom of our this clamor for autonomy and independence? We want to be able to set the terms of what a church is. We want to be able to gather with the people that we prefer, and uh, and, and then we get confused, sadly. Yeah. Well, it's all about, well, we live in a culture that says my spirituality is this. So exactly. this, whole, this whole idea that I could just gather and not be accountable. And, um, you know, the, the other thing we'll talk about here in a minute is there's even some people that say I'm part of a church. So they would affirm everything that we've already said. And then they yep. would say, I don't need the preaching of God's word. I just need fellowship. I, I've yep. heard that so many times. Maybe we can get into that in a minute. But yeah, how, how important is it to have a qualified biblical male elder? in a local church? First of all, the, the Bible gives us instructions about how a church is to be led. And I see two offices, eldership or pastorate, and then diaconate. So to be biblical, we have to have this kind of leadership in our church. Secondly, Scripture indicates, and I would refer to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 12 through 15, Scripture also indicates that the office of elder is restricted to, as you put it here, qualified male males, right? So it's not just any man, but qualified men. How do we know they're qualified? 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, Titus 1, 5 to 9 right, gives us uh, Pauline instruction, biblical instruction about the qualifications for elders. And so to be biblical and theologically sound, we need to understand who are the qualified men in our congregation, and then we should have them become the elders in our church. And then there's also the diaconate. They would be leading servants. We want to, should also have biblically qualified deacons in our church. And when we do, I'm not saying it's a panacea that everything goes swimmingly, but we've got the proper structure in place. And that gives us great hope for a solid church. Amen, brother. Amen. You know, I'm... I'm going to frame this next question this way uh, by saying just a few things for our listeners and to help you understand why I'm asking the question. You know, I'm very concerned about the music that we sing in our local churches, and I I could name names. Um, I think it becomes, for our listeners, that'll become pretty obvious. Uh, I think that our songs today are too feeling-oriented and not enough scripturally-oriented. They need to be more grounded in, in scripture. So does it matter that the songs that the church sings on the Lord's Day are solely rooted in Scripture. It's uh, absolutely, uh, it does absolutely matter, and it's absolutely essential because all that we do in our worship service is forming our people 
in the gospel and developing them as mature, biblically grounded, theologically sound followers of Jesus. And so, yes, preaching, teaching, absolutely essential, but we also, quote unquote, preach and teach through the song selection, the way we worship, right? It's it's interesting. Um, yeah, many songs today are me-oriented, or as you put it, feelings-oriented. There was a recent study done just showing the dearth of references to the triune God in our worship songs, Hmm. and how are we helping our members understand that God is triune and that we worship God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if, in fact, we never sing songs of worship to the triune God? Hmm. I I recently taught fourth and fifth graders at our church on the Trinity, and I said, so where do we see the Trinity in our church? And they really pointed to baptism, which is in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Kudos to them for recognizing that. And they also pointed to the very end of our service where we send people out with a benediction in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Kudos to them for acknowledging that too. But they didn't say, well, we find the Trinity, a triune God in the songs that we worship. They did not say that because let's be frank, most of our songs are not Trinitarianly designed. And that that accounts for why we have congregations, uh, members that just don't get who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the one whom we worship. So I think our song selection and what we sing on Sunday morning is absolutely critical. I loved and I loved this point that you just made about the connection between preaching and singing. Because I think that there's definitely, I mean, if you were to write a book, I mean, please do that, brother. I mean, we need, we need people to understand that, that it's not just sound theology that they need to put in their ears and in their hearts, right, to hear it. But they need to sing it out with their heart, you know. So we get the word, we input the word, and then we sing out the word. I mean, I'm not trying to make a correlation of that. That's just off the top of my head. I'm just throwing that out there. But um, there is definitely a relationship between what we preach, what's preached in our response in, in worship. And what I love to see is when our church brings a correspondence between what the sermon is for the Sunday and the songs and the hymns that we sing, right? Because it's reinforcing whatever that message is. Uh, You and I had a conversation, the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. If we're preaching on that, how sweet it is when we sing hymns and songs that emphasize that Christ is our high priest and he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins and he died on our behalf and he forever lives to intercede for us, right? So so we're forming people in the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ through the sermon, through the worship songs and so forth. And, and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is the act done by the high priest. It, it's just the one message, keep coming at our people amen well said well here's a here's a here's a grenade of a question for you throw it lob this up and you can hit hit this one out of the park what what place should expository sermons have in the central life and practice of the local church on the lord's day Uh, again uh (laughs) i agree with expository sermons we're somewhere in our second year almost almost three years preaching through matthew nice from beginning to end awesome one reason we do that is 
the new just taking Matthew, that gospel was written uh, from chapter one, verse one, to chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty, and and so this is the inspired word of God, and so I feel compelled to then preach the inspired word of the God, God as it is written, as it is as it is a text for us. Um, another advantage of expository sermons is that it, we as preachers we never have to guess what we're going to do the next Sunday, right? Right? It's it's all laid out for us. We never have to worry on Wednesday. I wonder what. I'm going to preach on this Sunday. Well, it's just the next text, for example, in Matthew. Expository preaching doesn't allow us to skirt difficult passages, right? And say, ooh, I, I don't know how my, our members are going to receive that. So we'll, we're just going to skip Matthew 25 on the separation of the sheep and goats and not talk about eternal conscious punishment of the wicked in hell. It's such a sensitive issue we won't we won't talk about. No, you, you got to preach it because it's in the text, right? Um, and I think uh, another key reason is we help people, we help our people to study the Bible, right? As we speak, as we preach expositorily, as we work through the text, right, verse by verse, we should equip our people that when they go back and look at that text the next week, they know exactly how to understand the text because we've walked them through it. And one of the things we want to do with our people is help them to read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, uh, memorize the Bible, learn to interpret the Bible. Expository preaching helps them to do so. You're, you're giving people, you're taking my argument away in my book, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I'm just having That's all right. It needs to be repeated. <laughs> it's so good. I'm just like, wait a minute. I wrote a book about that. Okay. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> wonderful <laughs> wonderful answer <laughs> just having a little fun with you brother that's great you know um all right so do you have any concerns that expository sermons aren't central on the lord's day and if so what should be done about that i i will say just as an illustration we have people coming to our church because the churches that they were involved in were more topically oriented and they want expository preaching. Mm -hmm. And so they'll come. Probably the number one reason is they wanted to something other than topical preaching, which can be very, very good. But a steady diet of it isn't as helpful, right, as for the reasons we just talked about. And they, they want to come to our church because we have good expository preaching. So that may be the number one reason why people leave their current church and come to ours is because of that. So I have deep concerns. I have deep concerns that current issues— uh, current fads dictate what we're going to preach on. Right? Uh, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't address current issues, but if again, it's just a steady diet of that. All we're doing then is addressing issues, and we're not exposing our people uh, to the full counsel of God, which we do when we do expository preaching. Yeah, that's uh, that's really really well said. You know, in First Timothy four thirteen, we're supposed to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and and to teaching and to doctrine. I mean, there's no better argument for the centrality of the the word and the life of a local church than than just that right there. It's it's pretty simple, you know. Um, and and that we don't need we don't need super methods, you know. We don't need more programs. We don't. Right. I mean, those those things can be helpful in that they can reach be a vehicle and an instrument. So I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying, like, but the word has to be central because what does the word do? The spirit will come comes along and uses the word to bring about conversion and edification and growth and um, personally and corporately. So you know that's that's just so important. You know, I'll use an example. I we moved here about a month. 
month ago, and about, for about six months, I was looking at churches in, the, in this new area where I'm at, and it was just so disappointing to me that there was so few churches that were they, – they were A, preaching these types of sermons, uh, B, they, 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 that people weren't being taught theology, I'm mean, by basic theology, and, and C – um, when I just just those basic things, um, I, I was just so saddened by that. And and it's not just in the, uh, here where I live. I've lived in three different states. I grew up in Seattle. I lived in I, Boise. We struggled for a long time in Boise to find a church that did that well um, and then loved people. I remember talking like super basic things. It wasn't like I was trying to get super fancy or nothing. And yep. we had the same kind of thing in in where we were at in Southern California. So I was so blessed when we came up here. I was like, okay, so I have one other question that's not going to be able to be answered until I get there. How are they going to do it loving the people? And I was blown away by the answer that God provided to that question that I had. I mean, they helped me move into the house. Wow. Um, they have totally come alongside my wife and I. Um, you know, we don't really know too many people in this area, but they made sure that wasn't an issue at all. I mean, it was just it was amazing what God did, you know. So so it's not only just a church that does those things, right? It's a church that practices those things. Um that's that's, that's really the, good. Yeah. It's expository preaching that is lived out, particularly with love. Amen. Amen. How important is it that every member of a local church be involved in using their spiritual gifts in the life of the local church? It's, uh, again, essential, right, for a church. Um, to each member of a local church, the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives a gift or several gifts, and he does so for the edification of the church, right? So each member has a gift or several gifts and is to use that gift or gifts to build up the church, to help the church grow, multiply, deepen, and all like that. And so the picture that we find, for example, in Ephesians 4 is every member using his or her gift or gifts, uh, working together. The Lord is building his church, and all the members are using their gifts. They're collaborating together. They're building up the church. There's a divine dimension. There's a human dimension. And when all that's working, the church grows and multiplies as it should. If, if people don't know their gift or their gifts, or they're not using their gift or their gifts, uh, then we're short-circuiting, right, the resources that God has provided for a church by them not being actively using their spiritual gifts. So we, we want to function on all cylinders, so to speak, in our churches. Let's get everybody involved. It's like we – that's really good. Uh, it's like we were talking about earlier, you know, oh, I could only do two when I was involved in a church in a variety of ways in Idaho. I, I constantly heard that, well, I can only do two things a week. And it's like, okay, I understand that you have a family. We're not saying no, neglect your family for the ministry of the church, but we're saying do something. You, you know, I, I tell people that one of the most consequential things that you can do has nothing to do with preaching and nothing to do with teaching. It has to do with, wait for it. Ready? Greeting. Greeting. Yep. Greeting people Excellent. walking in the door. Yep. I mean, who can't do that, right? And you don't, Everybody. To, you, you don't have to have a title or whatever. People, they're always at every church that I've ever been a part of needs more greeters. But you don't have to even be a greeter to greet. You just have to become ready to be used by God in that way each Sunday. So when you sit down in your seat or in your pew and there's a new person next to you, it doesn't take anything. You just say, welcome, you know, introduce yourself and things like that. And it's amazing how people will stay in a church or not stay in a church based on their first experience of whether they're welcomed or not. Mm. It, we, we can debate however long 
is that good or bad, right? The reality is people, when they walk in, if they sense a loving community, they're greeted by, yeah, not just the pastors, but hey, I sat in this person, doesn't have a title at all, but he and she greeted me. It, it means a lot to people. Yeah. And, and it only takes a second. It, it only takes, takes a, a second. second. Just say, hey, um, welcome to our church. It's great to have you. That's and it. we don't need the title of greeter. We don't need some button that says I'm a greeter. We just need to love people and be kind and reach out to them. Yeah, it takes intentionality. Inten- Ooh, there you go. So <laughs> you good. said it. So good. Well, we're both saying it. We're both saying it. Okay, yeah. we'll agree with that. Yeah. yeah, so good. What are some of your concerns and hopes for the future of the local church? I'm an optimist and an idealist, but my idealism and optimism is waning (laughs) with deep concerns. Um, I I don't know. It seems like our churches are becoming more and more divided over minor issues. And it could be our churches are really beginning to reflect more and more the lack of civility and lack of kindness, the divisions within our society that crept into our churches. And so, I mean, I just speak about our church. I, I'm probably going to resonate with lots of people. It's a debate over masks or not masks, or you know, what's the social distancing, and should we meet? Uh, should we meet in person and socially distance? Should we meet online and all like that? We we have these debates, and and it's it the the, the the discussions are very uncivil. People are condemning one another as maskers or not maskers, or do you agree that there's conspiracy theories or not? And and we're we're I, I, we may be at the point of being hopelessly divided to be irreparable in terms of what's going on. That's a deep concern. I think taking the temperature of our society, that our society is going to be moving more and more towards persecuting the church. And I think our churches are completely unprepared for what's coming down the pike in terms of persecution. And if we're, if our churches are in just in the entertainment uh, or, you know, just shallow preaching and bad theology or poor theology or, or, or weak worship, we are not going to hold people when the persecution comes, they will bail ASAP. So those are just a couple of big areas of concern uh, that I have. No, what you're yep. saying is so. What you're saying is so important um, because it's like we're talking about. We we have uh, there's essential doctrine, and then there's preferential things. You know, we have we have freedom in Christ. You know, to uh, behave according and act according to scripture, but we don't have freedom to just do whatever we want to do. And that's where I think, you know, when we come to the issue of masks and other things and unity and division in the church, what we're doing is we're taking these preferential issues, wearing masks or not wearing a mask or whatever, gathering or whatever, and we're using our liberty in Christ, our freedom in Christ in a way that makes people enslaved. And we know what we know what Galatians, where Galatians five goes, and we're not supposed to do that. You know, it's totally, um, it totally promotes, it's totally anti-gospel. It, it totally hinders our witness. So I absolutely agree with everything that you just said. And, and if wearing masks or not wearing masks is an indifferent matter, right? It's not a moral matter. Maybe we've done a bad job in helping our members understand that on these amoral areas, right? They're, they're neither moral, then they're not immoral, just on these indifferent matters. We need to respect one another, defer to one another, love one another, and we can't judge one another, right? We can't divide from one another over these issues. So maybe we need a good uh, 
exposition of first Corinthians eight and Romans chapter 14 and things like that, where we talk about these things and help people to process that process this. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of the divisions, I'm, I'm becoming quite pessimistic. And then the whole thing about persecution. Yeah. Excellent points. Well, brother, where can people go to find out more about your work online on social media or otherwise? Well, I have a Facebook page and that's about it. I'm so bad at social media. Um, I don't have my own website or anything, anything like that. They can, you know, if they want to look at my books, you know, I obviously you can go on to any kind of bookstore website, amazon.com and things like that. That's really the only way that I do it um, besides my own Facebook page. Sorry, sorry, I'm so technologically behind. I'm in the stone age, I think. <laughs> you're, not on, you're not on Facebook much, I know. I see. But I'm not on Facebook much. <laughs> no. I did wish you happy birthday, though. You did. I <laughs> I so appreciate you taking the time to do that. I know you're yeah, that's, that's one thing I try and do uh, on an almost daily basis is to wish my friends happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's an honor to be your friend. Absolutely. Sure. Yep. Thank you. Well, there's a lot that, you know, we haven't uh, talked about in the course of this conversation. Just as we wrap up, can you give us a few takeaways, brother? Yeah. Um, we, we, we have covered a lot of really good topics. I, I guess I want to conclude uh, about uh, discipleship in our church, in our churches. Um, there are lots of ways to in which we disciple our people. Obviously, one of the ways is preaching uh, expositorily and then teaching, whether that be in Sunday school classes, equip classes, whatever we call them, or special training classes. Preaching and teaching obviously are key. Um, I, I do think that our churches need to become more robust in mentoring or discipling, whatever you want to call that, where we take particularly younger people under our wings and we, uh, pre we preach, we teach, we encourage, we hold one another accountable and things like that. And, and we live out the gospel in very, very concrete ways. I think our people really need models, examples. Obviously, we're fallen, we're sinful, but we need stellar examples of men and women who live out the gospel and, and who do it with others. And I know just as we've tried to emphasize discipleship in our church, I, I see um, people living more for Christ, increasing in their sanctification, being more intentional in terms of loving one another, reaching out more towards those who don't know Christ. And so I would really like to conclude this by saying, shall, shall we disciple people through all these various ways? And I think that would help our churches um, deeply. Amen. Couldn't agree more, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Allison. I really enjoyed it, as always. And May God I look. I look forward to our next time. All right. Me too, brother. Me too. Okay. Thanks so much, Dave. You have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.